0: Our scripture passage is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from from among the dead, If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant.
1: Thank you, Sam, uh, for uh, reading us these verses. Uh, today we are continuing on in our series uh, based on Colossians 1. Uh, hoping to culminate with our 2020 uh, church key verses, in found in 28 and 29. Um, thus far, we've uh, considered uh, spiritual signatures, right, um, and also the pleasure of prayer. We talked about prayer last week. Uh, it could be said that uh, these topics kind of formed Paul's introduction. Uh, to the main course of his epistle. But I trust that we are also kind of uh, seeing certain uh, thematic emphases kind of emerging from the start. Uh, Our passage today uh, gets us into a little bit more theological, specifically uh, Christological about Jesus' uh, territory. Uh, as in all of his letters, uh, Paul writes about the uniqueness of Christ, of his person and his work. But especially in Colossians uh, 1, uh, Paul's rendering of who Jesus is with respect to um, his person and his work, his uniqueness, uh, it's it's evident, but especially uh, here, how Paul talks about the uh, created order. What is Jesus's relationship with creation? And then what is uh, Jesus's relationship with the church? Right? It's not only uh, theologically rich, uh, it's also very poetic. Right? So we can read this, you can see this uh, again and again, and appreciate its beauty and power. The description of Jesus is highly exalted, even cosmic in nature, and yet it's very personal, uh, touching upon the conciliatory effect of Jesus' uh, blood uh, shed on the cross. My sermon's title, Twice Firstborn, okay, Firstborn, Twice, is based on verses 15 and 18, which refer to him as such, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, okay? But he's also firstborn uh, of all the dead, or as we might say, the new creation. So we have him as the creator of uh, the world, uh, but he also is the firstborn, the first to rise from the dead. So uh, therefore, overall, uh, Jesus holds preeminence, preeminence. Uh, so, using the uh, motif, then, of firstborn or first, okay, first, um, I'd like to organize my message um, in this way, right, that Jesus is first in time, first in time, right, that, that's how we typically say it, I got here first, you know, uh, they're the first person to uh, finish the task, whatever, it, it's a, a temporal thing, so, uh, origin. Right. origin or beginning, that's going to be our kind of first idea, right? first in time. And then we'll do first in importance, uh, in his uh, eminence, right? his glory, uh, his importance, how significant right? who Jesus is, what he's done, uh, establishes in terms of significance and lordship. And then last, uh, I'm going to zero in on he's first in, I, I said closeness, but we could say distance, right? That Jesus is right here, right near uh, to us. So in relationship, especially through his redemption, his reconciliation of us to God. He brought us what? He made us one you know, with him, one with God, one Uh, with each other so you could see kind of like his um, firstborn ship (laughs) if you will uh, in in those kind of aspects time uh, importance and then distance or closeness okay so the first first that uh, for us to think about is with respect to time Jesus was first in time he was before anything or anyone else Uh, He's called here the firstborn of all creation as well as the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, This does not mean that Jesus himself was created or derivative. To the contrary, uh, Jesus was the author of creation. Indeed, his firstbornship acknowledges that he himself is a creator of all things. Uh, Verse 16 states it clearly, all things were created by him and for him. That's everything on heaven and earth. That's everything visible and invisible, all things. The fancy term that's used is panto-creator. Panto means all. So he's the almighty, he's the lord of the universe, all-powerful. All the superlatives we can uh, think of. Now, uh, maybe one kind of problem that uh, is is kind of circulating among the Colossians is that um, there's thinking that, okay, Jesus is great, but is there other great things out there other competitors other things that we should tap into other powers other fullnesses that would make us you know enjoy spiritual life more and i think paul is trying to emphasize jesus is it right he's everything but that everything is really everything right so as he exalts jesus he's paul i think is you know showing the relative superiority supremacy Of Jesus above all other spiritual principalities and powers, from the highest to the lowest, all they're all subject to Christ. A misinterpretation of this passage would be to say that Jesus was not original, that he was not firstborn, that he was not pre existent. Right? If you think that there was a time when Jesus was not, that he was. Brought into existence, he didn't pre-exist, right? That would be uh, what we would call a kind of an unorthodox or even a heretic uh, position, right? That Jesus, the Bible tells us, that Jesus eternally existed as the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, a full member of the triune uh, Godhead. And in numerous places in the Bible, Jesus is called, right, the creator, or at least the agent of creation, that through him, right, uh, he created. So we can make a kind of a syllogism, is a fancy term. So Genesis 1, right, it says, God spoke the world into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very familiar passage. And then in John 1, where the gospel writer is talking about who Jesus is, right, Um, Does a recent devotion time text for us. John calls Jesus the Logos, right? The Word, the Word of God. So there, we're seeing that connection uh, being made very clearly, right? That as uh, Genesis 1 says, God spoke the world into being, let there be light. Right? In the same way, Jesus is that Word who caused the creation, who Uh, executed, who put the creation into uh, motion. Jesus is the one who created by divine fiat. All things were not only created by him, but for him. There's another kind of priority there. There's another sign, another sense that he is first in all of this. Not only was he creating it, but it was his plan. It was his design. He made it the way that he wanted to make it. So it wasn't just some discharge of random divine power, but the purpose and design for which all things were made lies in Jesus' or Christ's creative purview. He made everything for himself, in other words. Not in a narcissistic way, uh, but everything was made so that it could be redeemed and reconciled um, to God so when we talk about him being firstborn, it's not only like he's the original, he's the first in time, but it refers to um, his lordship over all things and persons in the created order. He is the origin, he is the best of all living things and over uh, all those that live again. So, you know, being firstborn, at least in, in kind of the uh, Hebrew culture, ancient culture, uh, it was not only a matter of timing. You're not only the first child to be born, right? But it was a matter of honor, right? You were the first descendant of your parents. Um, it, it was considered the highest or most exalted uh, in any uh, generation. So um, let's think about this. If Jesus is the creator, what does that do? What does that mean for us? Right? Uh, if we make or create something, um, we recognize, we naturally get uh, ownership. If I make something, I'm the owner of that. Right? I take credit for it. We have rights and privileges concerning what we do with what we make, with the creation right? It's up to me how the creation should be utilized, whether it's a particular function or a display. I can break it down. I can remake it. I can sell it. I can keep it. I can give it away, right? There is that that inherent ownership, that power over the creature or the creation. Um, I can destroy it. I can discard it. Whatever I want, right? I have sovereignty over that claim. Hey, we were talking about... A, I uh, am so talking to Andrew and Peter came into the conversation because these guys, the industries that they work in that, you know, because of the companies that they work for, the companies own the patent rights to like any scientific work or anything that they, even, even if it's like the greatest invention ever, the company's paying for their research and so they were going to walk away with the patent. So I guess they get the intellectual glory of it right but that's about it and uh, they're saying that there's these uh, older guys that are really famous in their company but they're just like working at the next bench <laughs> still you know in their seventies an age because you know they, they they don't get the royalties right because they're not the owners right? they're not first born <laughs> in, in a corporate sense right and so um, you see the power of uh, of this kind of uh, of what it means to own something and, and that's what we're saying here that Jesus by virtue of being the creator he owns the world he owns you and me right? and again not in some sort of like strange like you know um, you know marxist kind of like uh um you know ownership issue you know that kind of uh, landlord uh, kind of the negative connotations of it but yeah god created us out of love right jesus owns us uh, in the sense that he is Lord over us and he wants what's best for us. He designed us, he created us, and now he wants to guide and direct us, right? And so that that can be a beautiful thing. This is not a power play. This is, I don't know, a love play. This is an act of love that I think Paul is trying to uh, communicate and convey uh, to the people, to the Colossians. And th- that's the big question for us. Even as a believer, as a follower of Christ, is there obvious evidence that Jesus is my Lord, he's my owner? Right? The decisions I make, the plans that I have, how I steward my resources, right? the, the future that I imagine, who is really the arbiter? Who ultimately decides for you and me? You know, we may say, I prayed about it, you know, I'm seeking God's will, or, you know, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I I know we often kind of put that, um, that kind of usage there. But if we really dig deep, if we really go to the heart of things, I think that the reality is more of We're choosing our own paths, our preferences, our dreams, our self-understandings. They govern much more practically, much more concretely than the ownership of Christ. In other words, we kind of end up doing what we ultimately want to be doing, as opposed to yeah, genuinely uh, seeking and then submitting what God wants in my life. This is one way that I can test it. I test it for myself. As, as I look at the arc of my life, how many of the things that I ended up doing were really things that I wanted to do versus what I discerned God wanted me to do that I didn't really want to do. right? And I, I thank the Lord that there are at least a few things that I really didn't want to do that I ended up doing because I concluded that Jesus is Lord and I better do it. Right? But if we look at kind of where you're at and where you're going and how you're doing things, isn't it pretty uh, kind of doesn't it follow or line up, align with what you've always wanted to do? Right. How much of your career path, relational path, I don't know, you know, choices, uh, you know, how you spend, uh, you know, your time and your money is, you're doing this because you're convicted that the Lord wants you to do it because he is, you know, he's the boss of your life, as opposed to, you know, you're good with it, right? And, and it's at least, at least not inconsistent, let's say, with what the Bible says. You guys know what I'm trying to say. Does he have that first place priority, that first place ownership, that first place kind of creative sovereignty over my life? Okay, moving on, in addition to being first in the temporal or prior, priority sense, uh, Paul's teaching here that Christ is also positionally supreme. So he comes in first place. Jesus is always the victor. Right? And all the time in everything, right? he holds primacy. In other words, he's the most important Right? He is the most honored, eminent, glorious. He is above everything else, Right, highest, farthest, far above any other. Yeah. Uh, verse 19 goes as far as to say that God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Christ. Um, no doubt that Jesus lacked nothing. He was fully God, and, and yet there is that use of the word God was being pleased by like uh the the reality of the fullness of God, the fullness of the deity or divinity being um, found in in, in Jesus, right? so again, th- th- we, we have this uh, Paul is, I think, running out of words and and, and descriptions and, and and even metaphors to talk about how exalted, right, how powerful, how uh, glorious um, Jesus, uh, really is. Right. And, and then with respect to, that's so with respect to the created order, right? We've talked about that a little bit, but let's zero in on with respect to the church. because right? so I think that's one of Paul's kind of, uh, emphases here, that Jesus is the first uh, in the church. Uh, and, and the illustration is that he is the head of the body. Right? The head of the body, and and as we know, since we all have bodies, right, we we know the importance, the superiority, even the 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 uh, uh, the first place, uh, if you will, that the head has to us. Right, our minds, our brains, right, they determine what our bodies do, where our legs take us. Right, yeah. So by analogizing Jesus. To being the head of the church, right? He's saying that Jesus is supposed to be the driver, the motivator. Right? He's supposed to tell the church what to do and how to do it. Right? And again, here's one of those things where we all would say that, right? I don't think any you know, Bible-believing church would ever uh, the- theologically or theoretically uh, or in their statements ever say anything different. Jesus is the head, and we are hands, hands, and feet. We are the members, we are the parts of, of the body, but he is the Lord of the church. But at least in my own practical experience and what I see around in other churches is that there's so much focus on how the body interacts, what the body should do, what the leg is doing and what the pancreas is doing, what the kneecaps are doing, you and me. In other words, that in our collective and corporate kind of experience, um, we lose sight that we are under the head. Right? We're a little too preoccupied with what's my position, what's your role and function. Right? There is this misguided uh, kind of Application of the body principle right? we're so into like you know who's doing what and what's their relative like honor or recognition or what what have you, and again that's important right We should uh, function and interact and relate interrelate, be interdependent in, in in the best and optimal ways, godly ways, right but I think. Uh we have to think again and again, we have to uh acknowledge and we have to intentionally establish again and again that we have to make sure that Jesus is not left out, <laughs> that he's not kind of assumed, okay, yeah, of course he's the head, but let's get down to the nuts and bolts. No there is just like your brain, my brain always you know factors into every decision and every choice, right? Maybe not as prominently all the time, but without, again, the brain, right? We, without the head, we can't do uh, anything, right? Yeah, there's this, I don't know, there's this uh, kind of, again, this practical uh, execution that, to me, uh, kind of belies this confession that we make that, you know, he is first... Um, in uh, the in the christian life the cr- the christian corporate life yeah so e- even like uh, let's say a, a one-on-one relationship with somebody let's say with um another brother or another sister or another family um i think we tend to kind of boil down those interactions to like or the relationship to how is that person treating me or how am i interacting with them right again that's very important Right The dynamics and kind of how you what the the specifics that you do or don't do, like a person's personality and all that kind of stuff, those are very important right? We should really uh, improve our our character and our interrelationality all that i 'm not, not trying to discredit that or kind of show that it's not important what i 'm trying to do is in a Christian relationship, you have to it's best, right? I think what we have to do is to make sure that we invite Jesus into the conversation. So I want us to imagine every Christian relationship as like a triangle. Triangle has three sides and three, right? Three points, three vertices. So there's, you know, there's let's say Madhua. There's Madhua. There's Daniel Lee. But it's not just us. There's Josephine Juan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's Jesus Christ. Am I saying Jesus is Josephine? No, I'm not saying that. Okay. In other words, as brothers in the Lord, it's not just how I think of him and how he thinks of me and what I do for him and what he says to me. No. Jesus is part. He is superintending. He is a member of that triadic relationship. It's not just two people. It's three. right? Three persons. right? And so... How Jesus would want us to interact becomes very important. What Jesus would think about what I said to Matt. What Jesus would think about what Matt thinks of me. You know, all that, it becomes a little more complicated, right? We, we You know, a third party is makes it, you know, a little bit more, like I said, complicated. But it can also become beautiful, too. Jesus can serve as the... Kind of the arbiter. He can he can the mediator, right? Or he can really like I don't know, like he might impress upon Matt, you better talk to Pastor Daniel about that because he needs to change. Right? Or, you know, there's there's three of us when we pray together where two or three are gathered in my name, so am I with you know, all those kinds of things. It it I think it makes the relationship fuller and re- richer and deeper. And it can tap into areas that you know just two people cannot, right? If you're in a one-on-one kind of, some, and you guys reach an impasse, right? Uh, and you, you know, the best case scenario, sometimes is like you agree to disagree, right? But with with Jesus there, um, there can be much more, right? Many more options that uh, can happen, right? Yeah, he's the most important one, in fact. But we sometimes never consult him, we never conclude him. It becomes me and you, or us and them, right? Is it us and them, we and they? Okay, whatever, whatever the grammar says. But, you know, think about Jesus being the head of not only the body, the corporate body of Christ, but between, you know, a husband and a wife, or husband, wife, and the kids, or you know, two friends or two families or roommates or people in the same small group or what have you, right? Uh, to actively right, engage Jesus uh, in that relationship, in, in those connections, right? With respect to the church, he's uh, the head. He's firstborn. He is first place. I feel like... Uh, many times, like, uh, Christian groups or Christian communities, um, we conduct ourselves almost like we're on, like, a, um, a military mission, right? That's one of the metaphors that we are soldiers, right? Uh, serving as soldiers in, 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 the, uh, where God wants us to go. And, um, like you know, we, we 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 get the plans. Let's say from the Bible or the Holy Spirit, and we go out on mission, or we're serving the Lord here, there, and we're doing those kinds of things. But sometimes, you know, like on mission, when, when a military, like um, when there's an operation, sometimes the communication gets cut off with you know headquarters or the. Your commanding officer sometimes you get separated right sometimes things break down um and you know you have to figure out what you're going to do next right and, and that, that that i think is true to life right in christian life we we, we think god has given us a directive and we you know we uh, embark on it we launch out on it and then you know Things don't go the way it was planned and we have to kind of regroup have to figure uh, things out and sometimes right we don't hear from god we're not sure how he wants us to kind of you know rework that um i think that's okay but it's important right it's obvious that we should try to hear from from the lord right we should go back to saying okay Plan A didn't work out. What's plan B? What I sense in the Christian life is uh, many times people, like once the, let's say the communication is, is, is kind of, let's say, um, disconnected, there is not enough effort to like re- patch ourselves back into headquarters. right? We kind of go off and we are doing things on our own, the way that we think it's best, and we're still at it. we're still doing that. there's ample opportunity to like you know re again to reunite or to get our uh uh marching orders reestablished um but we don't we we, we kind of like being in charge maybe maybe that's that that's what's happening you know uh one of the i think really really uh excellent uh series on um kind of warfare and and historical uh kind of happenings is band of brothers band of brothers about the world war ii uh easy company a company of soldiers that were uh, part of this paratrooping uh kind of uh, experiment that the uh, army trained they were kind of key soldiers in in so many uh, different battles and stuff but Uh, you know, it starts out with them training for and then eventually um, uh, uh, paratrooping into Normandy on D-Day, right, and had all these amazing plans, but uh, because of the, you know, the anti uh, um, um, aircraft uh, uh, gun, uh, you know, bullets and, 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 you know, because of uh, you know, it was cloudy or whatever, a lot of them got scattered, right, and they were in like Totally different areas, right? So they had to kind of head towards where they're where we're supposed to regroup, right? And so the companies got reformed and and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of cool. It's really interesting to see how they kind of reform, right? And how their uh, orders change. But eventually they get back to right. They they find some of some of the leaders die. Some of the you know the company leaders or even higher ups they don 't make it, they die in the paratrooping, but you know once they figure out like what they are going to do next, some of the plans change, but it really is kind of driven by right, the the commanding officers right by the the top some of the top military brass right? and I was thinking that yeah that 's a really good picture of sometimes. Even the you know the best Christian plans, even the best church plans, even the best you know family plans, right? We, it, they don't always work out. Maybe they never, they r- rarely work out exactly, you know, to what you'd want. It, it's at that time, though, even you know more so that we should really reconnect to the head, right? Let's not be a headless body, right? Let's not be a disembodied I mean know body part. Yeah, no, we should. Uh, really, uh, once again, invite Jesus or look to Jesus, seek Jesus to be uh, uh, first, right? First in uh, personal lives, right? In 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 the community life, right? To have that kind of yeah priority and lordship. Okay, the third first, the last one that for us to think about is a blend of verses 17 and 20. Uh, in Him, all things hold together. Um, right, so Jesus is referred to by Paul as the kind of the sustainer or the maintainer of of all existence. Actually, right, he's kind of likening Jesus to like a glue, like right? glue, that he keeps everything going. Right, if he decided, if Jesus decided to just kind of you know ignore creation or let things go, it would unravel. I think, and ultimately disintegrate. but uh, not only did he create; he keeps creating. He sustains um, this world, right? So, uh, Jesus is kind of working everywhere in the created order. We talk about him being omnipresent, right? That's a great one of the attributes of of, of God, right? That he's om- he's he's everywhere. But I think you know, this is even like a, a deeper dive into this. He somehow keeps. Everything connected. He keeps everything going. Not only can he be like, can he transcend space and time, but he is the kind of the force, if you will, that binds um, everything uh, together. Okay, that's kind of the big picture of it. But I think, again, Paul goes into the spiritual kind of. Aspect of this, right? And that's where I mean that Jesus is first in terms of distance or in terms of closeness, right? Not only in, let's say, the physical world, does he form the bonds and and, and the ties and the bindings, but especially spiritually, Jesus is the uniter, he is the connector. Right? He really is the glue right, for us uh, spiritually. Right? And the way that Paul goes about in this section about trying to express that truth is he uses the concept of reconciliation. That Jesus is right the reconciler par excellence. So um, by what he's done, right? Uh, by his death on the cross... Uh, Jesus is able to reunite uh, alienated humanity and God. Right, we were enemies, and then Jesus brokered a peace. Right, uh, through his bloodshed, through his broken body, uh, he obliterated the gap between us, the infinite chasm that separated God and humanity. That was bridged. He pulled us together, right, so to speak. Um, And in that process, right, Jesus became the closest to us that we could ever imagine, right? Um, In the past, the distance, the separation between God and human beings was uh, profound, right? But now it has become, yeah, one there is a unity there is a connectivity that uh is uh you know hard to uh really i think um give justice to in 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 a kind of ver- a verbal explanation right this mystical union that uh, jesus accomplished by his death on the cross and so he can be the closest person right that we could ever know that we could find ourselves right uh, in this intimate and this very very close this very very open uh, relationship with him. I really appreciate uh, Marge the songs that she picked today, right you know draw me close to you like that was an oldie but goodie for me right, and to you know uh. You know, to, to cry out, right? Uh, help me to know you are here. Help me to know you are near, right? That's exactly what I think is promised here in this uh, passage. That Jesus, the reconciler, right, drew God here, drew God near, right, uh, to me. And then the second song, "No Place I Would Rather Be." Hey, she looked at my notes or something. I think, right? Even though I didn't finish the notes till like one a.m. last night. So, Um, is there any place better than being close to Jesus Christ? I I think Paul would say definitely say no. What what would you and I say? And then even the third song, "I'm caught in your presence." That's just one line of that, right? I'm. I'm caught. Yeah, I'm caught in your presence. Yeah, you know, I don't want any blessings. I don't. You don't owe me anything. I just. This is where I belong. This is what I was made for. Right. This is my first choice. That. I am right there. Right. Uh, with with Jesus. Right? Even the idea of the, the headship. Uh, it's it's an organic thing. I really love the body metaphor because it's not just organizational. But just as you know, there's blood and nerves and bone and muscle and and, and, and sinew that, that connect uh, skin that connects our body parts, right? That's how united. That's how close. That's how uh, you know um, Jesus can uh, bring us uh, together. Yeah. Uh, so to to move from those amazing songs, right, and this idea to what I'm going to use as kind of an example to close the message is, is, is going to be a letdown, so I, I acknowledge it already. But as I was thinking about like, where is an example of where somebody, in order to get close to somebody, right, or, or to, to kind of like dr- to reduce the gap, you have to give up a lot you have to sacrifice a lot and i i didn't want to do like a, a kind of a familial or like a spousal because those are you know we, we see that a, a lot right but uh, i wanted to you know i i often i'm in the sports world right and there's this uh movie uh it's it's the, the idea of like in, in the nfl they have i guess other sports too but they have like a, a yearly draft right where they're drafting like players from college, or you know, for, for whatnot, uh, to kind of bring into the organization and train them to be future uh, leaders, um, uh, future uh, athletes, and stars, right, and that kind of stuff. And there's one movie called Draft Day with Kevin Costner, that I accidentally bought. <laughs> <laughs> on on whatever whatever streaming service it was, so I ended up watching it several times. I really liked it, actually. I think it's well cast and, and and all that. But it's about this general manager, this football general manager, who's kind of his job is on the on the brink, right? He's not doing that well. He's good, but his father was a legendary manager, and so he's trying to fill his shoes. And the owner is really pressing him to like um, to draft this like uh, football. There's this. this um, Quarterback right this quarterback who's like, you know a clear star and so uh, they you know um, teams are given Draft priority and like they were like number six or number seven his team right and the owner is like pressing him You got to go to number one because if you're not number one if you don't have that number one spot number one pick, he's gone. Someone else is going to take him. And so the owner presses him. So he ends up having to give up, I think, like three first round draft picks, three years of wherever they are in the first round, which is like an enormous, enormous sacrifice. You're like basically like um, kind of, you know, uh, trading away the f- team's future to get one player. right? But because the pressure was so big, he, he went ahead and made that deal. Right. Everybody is like, you know, scorching him, everybody is like telling him he's stupid. But the owner is happy uh, and the like, right? But as he's doing his research, as he's doing his due diligence, he realizes that this player, maybe he's physically gifted, but he seems to have some other issues. And so he doesn't want to draft him first and his gut is telling him one thing and there are all these voices and it's a really kind of a, a really interesting like decision-making kind of, uh, of, kind of, um, kind of uh, illustration. Uh, that's made right well um, there's another player who's actually I think uh, like a linebacker or a defensive you know, lineman who you never pick first right you, you, even if they're amazing you don't pick them as a number one drafters that's always like some sort of like quarterback or, or somebody like that um, but he decides to go and pick this linebacker right? this defensive lineman played by Chadwick Bozeman who passed away, as you guys might know, and it's just a real kind of interesting, like how he's like a- assessing character um, and and kind of a-, a value systems choice. Right? What do I value as a general manager? What do I value as a team player, as an athlete, as, as a building block of my future? And he he goes ahead and kind of you know picks him, and and eventually, uh, long story long, <laughs> he gets that. Those three draft picks back, right and he gets the first rounders, and he gets um, uh, in, in other words, he's like there's an incredible like hall of like good players uh, and the like. So and when um, the linebacker who's drafted first, because I think you make more money if you're, if you're picked first, right, if you're the first pick, he actually calls him to say thank you, or they have a phone conversation, and just kind of the appreciation of that. Uh, athlete to the general manager for believing in him. And he knew what it took to pick him first. All the criticism that he was going to receive and the, the, the loss of a potential uh, you know, game changer, jam- like a franchise quarterback, etc. Cetera, et cetera, right? I, I just felt like, wow, he wanted him close. He wanted him first. He wanted him to the exclusion maybe of all others. Right, and I thought that really kind of you know in in kind of a funny or or sports way, showed um, yeah what it it took for the Lord to really make reconciliation with God possible. Right, it really made a difference. What he gave up, right, he ended up giving up his life, uh, and maybe he. Jesus, in fact, sacrificed all of his first positions, all of his firstborn rights, in order to make us, right? His heirs, his younger brothers and sisters, as Paul says in Romans. Um, He gets it all back because, you know, that's that's the way God designed it. But nonetheless, it was a real sacrifice. It was a real um, gift, right? Um, that Jesus uh, mm, surrendered on our behalf so that he could be close to us, that we could be close to him, that we could be close uh, to each other. Yeah. So let's think about that. Let's, let's think about not only is Jesus first in time and first in importance, but he really is first in closeness. He's not only a supreme Uh, originator or a supreme leader, but he's the great lover of our souls. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, helping us, I think, uh, process what uh, all of the uh, stupendous and powerful things that Paul attributes to Christ. Uh, Not only is there, again, this sweeping and... uh, uh, humongous picture of what Jesus' power and, and what he accomplished, but uh, it it really hits home. It really lands, hopefully, in our personal heart that I am beloved, that uh, I was, Jesus valued me to give up all the draft picks so that I could be close to him, that uh he could be first in my life, and in a sense that I could be first in his life um, as well. Lord, uh, as we uh, reflect on this personally and corporately, uh, draw us closer to you again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.